Today we are going to be talking about the kingdom hospitality of the church. The kingdom hospitality of the church. I want to say this in the very beginning. The things that I'm going to speak about, um, it comes from a place of prayer. It comes from a place of study. Uh, I, I read a book called Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition. So I'm very influenced by that. But also, uh, I, I want to say that, that the things I'm going to say, I myself have not achieved these things. I don't want you to think that I have practiced this. However, I do want you to know that I think we should aspire that, uh, aspire to practice these disciplines that I'm going to talk about. Uh, I do think that they're biblical. I think they're helpful. And uh, I, I hope that maybe it inspires you as we go through God's word and learn about what the church has been doing. Uh, we've been learning a lot about the kingdom. And now let's look at what that looks like here nowadays. How do we apply the kingdom? What's the importance of the kingdom? So uh, there, on your notes, there's like four scriptures that I included. Uh, I just put them there because there's a lot of scriptures that I don't want you. Well, you could go into your Bible, but it's going to take you a while to go from each scripture. Um, they're going to be from Luke and Acts. So in Luke, this is Jesus talking, Luke 14, 13 to 14, it says, And when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And then in Acts 2, 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their hearts and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. In verse uh, Acts 11, uh, 3, um, it says this, and it said, so they're talking about the church again, uh, you went into the house of the uncircum uncircumcised men and ate with them. Acts 27 says, on the day, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. And in the same chapter, verse 11, this is what happened. Um, this is Paul. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread, and ate. After, t after talking until daylight, he left. All right, so I hope you could see this common theme within all of these scriptures. There's eating involved. It started with Jesus Christ. He says... Uh, when you throw a feast, invite the least of these things, essentially, because they cannot repay you. And then we see the church practicing this within Acts. We saw it in Acts 2. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They met in their homes to break bread, to eat, and they had glad hearts and sincere hearts. In Acts 11, we read also that they, they went into the house of the uncircumcised. They weren't supposed to do that, but yet they did that, and they ate with them. And then we saw Paul who also did the same thing. Before going any further, let us, let us all pray. Right there where you're at, if you want to join me, feel free to join me. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing everyone here. I pray that as I speak, God, it's not, it's not me, Lord, who, who is speaking, but it's you, God. It is you speaking to the hearts of your church, Lord. And I, I pray for those who are here, maybe they don't believe in you, and I, I pray, Lord, that you may open up their hearts to feel your peace and your welcome, 
that you are a welcoming God. And uh, I pray that as a church, we may be a welcoming church. We pray this in your name. Amen. Here's a question that I want to start off with. How did the church see the importance of the kingdom? Like I said, we've been learning about the kingdom. We know that Jesus is king. We know that he is Lord over all. We know that he has defeated death. He has rule over everything. But what now? What are we supposed to do? We can learn from the early Christians and what they did with their knowledge of the kingdom. The early church believed that hospitality provides a bridge which connects our theology with daily life and concerns. The church had learned about the kingdom just like you have today or throughout these several weeks. They learned about King Jesus and they concluded this. Okay, God has brought the kingdom. We need to continue to spread his kingdom. We're supposed to be witnesses of the king. Make disciples of the king. So here is what we are going to do. We are going to practice hospitality. Hospitality was so central to the type of ministry that the church did. That the church, as uh, Paul writes, Christine Paul, she, she said that the church saw hospitality as central to the meaning of the gospel. The story of Jesus, the announcement of Jesus, what is central to that? The early church saw that hospitality was central to the gospel. When they saw what Jesus did, they believed that Jesus practiced hospitality. Thus, a New Testament theologian, he's also a a Swedish bishop, Christer Standall, he wrote and he perceived this. Wherever, whenever... However, the kingdom manifests itself. It is welcome. Thus, if we want to practice what we have learned about the kingdom, practice the values of the kingdom, we must welcome as the early church did. But unfortunately, the modern day church does not have a good grasp on hospitality, and therefore they don't have a good grasp on how to practice this kingdom theme that we have learned. I believe in the words of Henry Nowen. He he said this, if there is any concept worth restoring to original death and evocation potential, it is the concept of hospitality. We need to restore the church's view. On hospitality. In ancient civilizations, hospitality was often a pillar on, on which morality would rest on. Hospitality was a good thing. And I am sure that most of us can agree that there are cultures out there that value, that presently they value hospitality. For instance, in many Hispanic cultures, there's the saying which represents their hospitable attitude. It says, mi casa es su casa. Hospitality has been the bedrock of many societies for years. But while there are more strangers present today than ever before, more people who need a welcome, more people who are disconnected, here in the America of 2020, what is so weird and ironic, 
There's more strangers, yet there is less hospitality. We are in a fragmented and multicultural society that yearns for relationships, identity, and meaning. And yet we don't practice hospitality. People are hungry for welcome. But most Christians have lost their heritage of hospitality. But the early church practiced hospitality. They practiced hospitality. They gave a generous welcome to the marginalized, provided the, the, the least of these with a home, and had a feast for the hungry. They practiced hospitality because they saw the sacrificial welcome that King Jesus, their king, had offered to all people. The king of the church welcomed all to feast with him. And since we are his representatives, we should also welcome everyone to feast with us. In the church, in the household of God, hospitality is a fitting requisite, a meaning-filled practice. Hospitality is important symbolically because it's a reflection, it's a reenactment of God's hospitality. And it is important practically because we are responding, we are meeting human needs. Like I said before, there is a need for relationships today. The church also gained inspiration to practice hospitality because their king was also a stranger. In fact, Jesus said, what you do to a stranger, you do to me. So the church would say, there he was, homeless. Would a church take him in today? Feed him. Clothe him. Offer him a bed. I hope I ask myself that question on the last day of my life. I once prayed and prayed to God that he never let me forget to ask that question. We, we should consider this. We should ask ourselves this. Will we take Jesus the stranger in today? Will we feed him, clothe him, offer him a bed? The early church did. And they saw Jesus in the people who were in need, the ones who would ask for help, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the stranger. And they saw that one of the best ways to show hospitality was to eat with them. As we read, when we read all those scriptures, they were eating, breaking bread, eating with others. The early church saw that a shared meal is the activity most closely tied to the reality of God's kingdom. There is a theological importance of eating together. Those who practice hospitality by eating together have said that they feel the closest to God in times of shared meals. Hospitality was so central to the early church that hospitality was not optional for the Christian. 
Hospitality was not just for those who were gifted with skills that would help them be hospitable. I know people who have these skills who are naturally this way, and I am not one of these people who are naturally hospitable. But the early church still saw that it is necessary for every member within its community to practice hospitality. Now, I've been using this word often, and maybe you have an idea of what hospitality is. But what is hospitality? What is hospitality? What, what, what comes to mind? What, what am I talking about? We have seen aspects of it. We have seen its importance within cultures and the early church. But what is hospitality? When the early church referred to hospitality, they used this Greek word, which is philoxenia. Uh, and, it comes from, and it combines two words, as you can see in the next slide, phileo and xenos. Phileo conveyed the idea for love uh, or affection towards people who are connected by kinship or faith. And the word xenos is the word for stranger. That's why when we say uh, xenophobia, it's the fear of stranger or fear of a foreigner. So... The early church understood hospitality as an attitude of love, the type of love that you would show to a brother. But here you're showing it to a stranger. Loving strangers as if they were family. This begs the question who are strangers? Who are strangers? Strangers are those who are disconnected from basic relationships in the world. The most vulnerable strangers are detached from family, community, church, and work. Hospitality has always included friends, family, and influential contacts. It's kind of a given to love those who are already close to you. But the early church was different. The church emphasized showing hospitality to the poor and the neediest. The ones who could not return the favor. The church, of course, did not stop showing hospitality to friends and family, but instead they broadened the practice of hospitality to the stranger. The church invited the stranger to the table of fellowship. And conversation. They shared meals with the strangers. They, they shared meals with people who were culturally different. They were empathetic towards the physical, social, and spiritual needs of strangers. They knew the worth of others. They strove to show respect to all people. They welcomed the strangers into their communities because they, the first Christians, saw themselves as strangers themselves, as aliens themselves in a new land. They knew that they belonged to another household, another kingdom. They were in this world, but they were aliens. They were strangers in this world because their citizenship was heavenly. So the early church was able to relate with the foreigner, the migrant, because they were both strangers. They were both foreigners. 
The richness of the story of hospitality continues beyond what is written within our Bible. Early Christians demonstrated the importance of transcending social and ethnic differences by sharing meals, homes, and worship with persons of different backgrounds. Early on, local Christian communities shared meals together as part of their regular church service. They would have church services, and one of the most important part of their services was breaking bread. During the church services, Christians would give meals to those who were in need. And church leaders warned clergy to not use hospitality, this practice, to gain favor with the powerful. No. Instead, they were supposed to show hospitality to those who could not repay the favor to the poorest. Because in doing so, they are showing hospitality to Christ. Wealthy female converts... To Christianity were models of Christian hospitality since they used their fortunes to offer food and shelter to the poor, sick, and pilgrim. And even though they used their finances, they still provided care with their own hands. They weren't afraid to get dirty. And the church did all of this amid, in the midst of persecution. Here's, here's an interesting letter from Emperor Julian. He was an emperor who attempted to throw out Christianity in the 300s and reestablish the Hellenic, Greece, Roman faith. This is what he wrote. Why do we not observe that it is their benevolence, talking about Christians, their, the, the, the Christian benevolence, the kindness that they have to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead and the holiness of their lives that have done most to increase Christianity. Their benevolence to strangers. Isn't that awesome? That an enemy of Christianity, Emperor Julian, he recognized that Christianity is growing because Christians lived holy lives and were benevolent, were kind to strangers. A Roman leader recognized the good of the church. I kind of wish that the church had that type of testimony nowadays. Emperor Julian recognized the power of the church so much so that he strove to emulate, to, to copy Christian hospitality so that they c- could spread their pagan, their Roman faith. Julian told his pagan priests to establish hostels, these places, these centers for distribution of corn and wine to the poor, strangers and beggars. The church had so influenced Julian that even though he wanted to destroy, dismantle Christianity, Julian saw things from the church that he thought he should follow. Look, this is what he said. For it is disgraceful when no Jew ever has to beg. And the impious Galileans, the Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. Teach those of Hellenic faith to contribute to public service of this sort. Imagine that. An outsider 
saying that the church not only takes care of their own, of those who are poor within the church, but also those who are outsiders who don't believe the same thing that the church believes. One of the reasons that the church was this welcoming is that its leaders would say things like this. Jerome, probably the most famous uh, translator of the Bible, said, let poor men and strangers be acquainted with your modest table. And with them, Christ shall be your guest. Jerome and other church leaders of the 4th and 5th century church led the charge to establish, establish various practices and institutions. They built hospitals to take care of the poor, to take care of the strangers, to take care of the local, of the local orphans and the widows. And in a severe famine, a bishop gathered the victims of the famine, and with the food that he was able to collect, he supplied the poor and sick with the food and care that they needed. The bishop went on to build institutions to provide care for the sick, for travelers, and for the poor. Because of Christians, there were places where those who were marginalized, those who were at the, the outskirts of society and decimated because they had this disease. Back in the day, if you had a disease, you were considered to be unclean. But Christians... They made these institutions where these individuals who were marginalized by society could come and breathe and heal. Instead of being excluded, they were included. John Chrysostom, here's a picture of John Chrysostom. He is one of the most famous preachers of the early church. And he eloquently and persistently advocated for Christian hospitality. He insisted that Christian hospitality should be face-to-face, unassuming, and it should nearly indiscriminate. It should, we shouldn't be selective with who we're going to show hospitality to. And he was very enthusiastic about it, too. John urged his parishioners, those who were part of his church, to practice hospitality on a personal level. Even if we have helpful institutions like hospitals, we need to do it personally. Chrysostom said that even if a church from its common funds can't feed the needy person, he said, can that benefit you? If another man prays, does it follow that you are not bound to pray? If the church prays as a community, does that mean that you're not supposed to pray? Likewise, if the church gives as a community, does that mean that you are not supposed to give? Chrysostom urged his parishioners to make a guest chamber in their own houses, a place set apart for Christ, a place in which to welcome the maimed, the beggars, and the homeless. Not everyone was fond of what Chrysostom said. So Chrysostom suggested that at least Christians could make a place in their household for a local poor person who was known to them. And even though John urged people to be personally involved with hospitality, from the year 400 to 403, Chrysostom built a number of hospitality, a number of hospitals. He was urging people to be Involved face to face, but he was also building institutions like hospitals for, to provide care to the 
orphan, to the strangers, and as well for those who were sick and who were chronic invalid, who were old, who were poor. But sadly, by the end of the Middle Ages, hospitality was restricted to two forms. It was material care for strangers and the local poor. It didn't involve face-to-face interaction anymore. And hospitality had also just become a form of entertainment, something that you do with friends and family. And it's not necessarily bad, but it just became those two things. It became limited. There were times, however, after the Middle Ages, when some Christians strove to reinstitute hospitality as the early church practiced it. In the Reformation period, one of the greatest reformers, Martin Luther, wrote that when persecuted believers were welcomed hospitably, he said this, God himself is in our home, is being fed at our house, is lying down and resting. According to John Calvin, another reformer, no duty can be more pleasing or acceptable to God than hospitality to religious refugees. For Calvin, hospitality was a sacred act. Calvin, who was extremely intelligent, he was a lawyer before he had become a uh, theologian. He had a high view of hospitality because he recognized that strangers like him were made in the image of God and shared a common flesh. But still, despite these resurgence from these theologians, from the reformers, hospitality was viewed by many as an antiquated practice. It was just out of step with a busy commercial society, a relic from an earlier time. Fortunately, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, did some work in restoring Christian hospitality. Here's a picture of John Wesley. Wesley and the 18th century English Methodists would hold small group meetings, similar to our modern day small groups. These small groups offered regular opportunities for personal interaction, relationship building, and oversight of new believers. Wesley saw these small groups where people would practice hospitality as the very thing which was from the very beginning of Christianity. They had these feasts, which were called love feasts. These, these feasts were very similar to what the early church had done. And with these feasts, they created this context, this setting for relational growth. Wesley was a popular preacher in England. He could have had a lot of money, live lavishly. But instead, Wesley said this, For I myself, as well as the other preachers who are in town, diet, they eat, with the poor on the same food and at the same table. He didn't think he was higher than them. He ate, on the, with the same, ate the same food and on the same table. And we rejoice herein as a comfortable, comfortable earnest of our eating bread together in our Father's kingdom. This blending of people who are poor and weak, influential preachers and just coming together, this blending was a return to the early church, a return to an early Christian understanding of the kingdom, of, the hosp- of hospitality. Wesley also encouraged his parishioners to visit the poor and sick in their homes and to help as much as possible 
with the physical, social, and spiritual needs they encountered. Wesley insisted on close face-to-face relations among different kinds of people. Again, returning to early Christian hospitality. But today, here in America, though Christian history shows that hospitality was a significant part of the faith, hospitality is rarely seen today, or at least how it was practiced in the early church. You don't hear about these stories about the early church nowadays. Maybe it's because of urbanization and industrialization Households are smaller and more private. And nowadays it's a place of refuge for ourselves. We go just so we could get disconnected. And we rarely let strangers into our homes. Today we have more privacy. So, so it may appear more dangerous. Back in the day everybody was connected. And now we're all private. So we don't know what's going place. Uh, what's taking place when, uh, when a stranger comes over and they're, they're just privately at our house. Uh, and we're not connected communally as we once were when there were city gates and city walls, when everyone knew each other. So maybe that has contributed to why we don't practice hospitality in modern day America. We've lost a sense of local community and we have gained the privatization of the households. And we also don't have time. How can we invite someone to eat with us when we barely have time to make food for our own family? It's hard to invite someone to stay for a week when there is no one at home. But still, we need to practice hospitality. We need to think of some creative ways of being hospitable in our current and social communal world, we need to find creative ways. We need to find a way, as the early church did, to show people that we recognize them, that we see them, and we see their human dignity. We need to acknowledge those who are strangers. We need to be so hospitable That we transcend social differences and break social boundaries. When people are socially invisible, their needs and concerns are not acknowledged. And no one even notices the injustices they suffer. Hospitality can help us begin to see those who are socially invisible. We need to acknowledge every human. Since... All people are made in the image of God. As we learned in Genesis 1, we are all God's representatives. We are all his image bearers. Bearing God's image establishes for every person a fundamental dignity which cannot be undermined either by wrongdoing or neediness. All humans Bear image. It doesn't matter what they have done. It doesn't matter if they need a lot of stuff and they're in need. No, they are all made in God's image. We are all humans. And we should perceive others as we perceive ourselves. A fellow image bearer. As we suffer, 
they suffer because we are all image bearers. We all represent our Heavenly Father. As we need empathy and understanding, they need empathy and understanding. Look at what Calvin wrote. He said this, God has impressed his image in us and has given us a common nature which should incite us to provide one for the other. The man who wishes to exempt himself from providing for his neighbors, the one who doesn't want to show kindness to a neighbor, should deface himself and declare that he no longer wishes to be a man. For as long as we are human creatures, we must contemplate as in a mirror. Our face, us, a fellow human, is in those who are poor, despised, exhausted, who groan under their breath. Everyone is worthy of respect because of God's work in them. I hope we could see a fellow human is an image bearer and therefore they are a reflection of who we are because we're all image bearers. We all reflect God and that could be us. We're all connected. We're all representatives of God. It's like we're mirrors of each other. John Calvin continues, he says, if these come some more, more were uh, Muslims during those times, barbarian, since he is a man and they were hated during that time, he brings a mirror in which we are able to contemplate that he is our brother and our neighbor. For we cannot abolish the order of nature which God has established as inviolable. We can't do anything to change. They, it is what it is. They are image bearers. They are God's image bearers. They were made in the image of God. Here's another perspective. John Wesley said this, a poor wretch cries to me for an alms. I look and I see him covered with dirt and rags. But through these, I see one that has an, an immortal spirit made to know and love and dwell with God to eternity. I honor him for his creator's sake. I see through all these rags that he is purpled with the blood of Christ. I love him for the sake of his redeemer. Everyone is worthy of respect because of God's work in them and for them. Because Jesus Christ also died for them. And we should, not, we should see these individuals as our king's death was for them. It was for them. And here's another way of seeing it. Well, if they're hungry, I see Christ hungry. If they're suffering, I see Christ on the cross. There's something interesting that takes place within some Hispanic Christmas traditions. There's this tradition called Las Posadas. Within the tradition for several nights, uh, congregations of Christians reenact the story of Mary and Joseph. Going from door to door to find shelter as it happened before the birth of Christ. They were turned away many times before finding a place where Jesus can be born. 
And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it or participated, but usually it's like this group and they're trying to go into a house and, a house and they're reenacting and the people within the house say, no, you can't, we're full. And they're, they're just reenacting the story of Mary and Joseph. But as a result, looking at this, I, I thought this. Hmm. When I see someone asking for shelter, I should see what was taking place with Mary and Joseph. That they too were looking for shelter and most people said that they were full. I should see Jesus asking for a place to rest. One time a person said this on Las Posadas. He said this. After Christmas we realized that the people who come here ask us for exactly what Mary and Joseph were asking for in Bethlehem. For me, it didn't connect until somebody came and said posada. That means just rest or looking for refuge. Um, and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, that's Jesus. Thank you, God, for making me aware of your presence. We might think we have no room in our house, but are we going to say no to Jesus? Are we going to be so stingy with our house or finances? I understand that at times we may not be able to help those in need. But if you can't help them, at least don't make it harder for them. We can start by taking to heart what John Wesley said. If you cannot relieve, do not grieve. If you cannot relieve, do not grieve the poor. Give them soft words, if nothing else. Abstain from either sour looks or harsh words. Let them be glad that they came to come. Let them be glad that they saw you today. Put yourselves in the place of every poor man and woman. And deal with him as you would want God to deal with you. You might not be able to give or you may find yourself in a place where it's hard to show hospitality, but at the very least, strive to make people feel welcome. Do not say mean stuff, make ugly looks. No, don't do that. Treat the least of these with respect and dignity, as you would want God to treat you. Put yourself in their shoes. Maybe, maybe think like this practitioner thought. He said, I'm not here because I'm helping them. I'm here because we're helping each other. I walk the same pilgrimage that many of these people walk, just in a different form, format. We could have been like them if our circumstances were different. So let's be empathetic. Let's respect each other. Let's care about the rights of others. In the past, hospitality was an important way whereby the church would address issues of respect and equality in non-egalitarian, which are like non-equal societies. They, were, they have a lot of inequality in, some, in these societies. In cultures where it would be odd for a poor person to eat with a wealthy person, the church wouldn't care. Christians who came from different backgrounds would transcend these norms. They would eat with one another, the poor and the wealthy, the educated and the uneducated. Everyone was seen as an equal. Most people still care about bringing equality. 
but they really don't want to see people face to face. We want equal rights and we demand the recognition of others. But do we personally recognize others? As a result, there is a distance between the one who advocates, who supports the rights of others, and the one who is the recipient of the right. There's this distance for the one that speaks out loud that there needs to be freedom and equal rights, and yet those who need the rights. Because there's no personal interaction between them. There are great organizations out there doing a great job advocating for human rights. And we should do our best to support them. But sometimes if we just send money, we we create this distance between the donor and the recipient. When we give, let's not forget about the need of personal involvement. Our emphasis on voting or financially supporting a cause should not cause us to forget the importance of personally caring and socially connecting with those who are in need. Just because the law can help and just because we pay our taxes and we should do all of that, we should financially support, we should vote, and we should make laws and we should pay our taxes, but this does not guarantee that people will experience human connection and feel that they matter. We should vote, pay our taxes, but we should also personally make people feel their worth through hospitality. As Ed Loring said, true hospitality involves friendship, which brings to the other what no law or revolution can do. Hospitality brings understanding and acceptance. Laws can't do that. Revolutions can't do that. I do believe that a lot of the evils that are present in this world is due to the fact that there is a lack of hospitality. Evils arise because there are people who feel alone. There are people who are alone because they are disconnected from friends and family. According to Paul. Uh, Christine Pohl, in contemporary society, severe poverty is often tied to rootlessness and detachment from family and other key institutions. The poor and the community in our culture are many times one and the same. They're not connected to any community. And these strangers, in our, they are in our midst. It may appear that they are part of a community, but they're not really connected. In our nation, millions of people are independent, only connected superficially via the internet. And we value those who are independent, who do their own thing, but let's consider that they might be disconnected. This world is full of strangers. And instead of helping them, sometimes we might not choose to see them Because maybe we're excusing ourselves and saying we should not intrude. We should not just put ourselves there. And look, we we should understand that it it might appear as we're intruding. But at the same time, we should not ignore those who feel alone. Our posture needs to change. We need to be aware 
We need to bring the kingdom through hospitality. We need to give a gracious welcome to strangers and to those who have needs and and vulnerabilities. The homeless, the refugee, the migrant, the person with disabilities. And giving the welcome does not always have to be choosing the hardest scenario. But start by having an attitude of hospitality. Christine Pohl said, Hospitality does not require many resources. It does require a willingness to share what we have, whether food, time, space, or money. As we finish up, I want you to think about these things. We all find ourselves in different circumstances, but be willing to give as God has given you. Follow the example of the early church. Practicing hospitality sounds like a beautiful thing, but most of the time hospitality occurs in the mundane, in the private. No one's going to see you practice hospitality most of the time. Hospitality will never be free from its challenges. It's going to be hard. But start with baby steps. Maybe say hi to a stranger Work out your heart. Make your heart ready for hospitality. Give, talk, love the least of these. The first step in making a place for hospitality is to make room in our own hearts. We cannot welcome people physically if we have not made room in our own hearts. So pray. That God would make room in your heart. Hospitality is more than a task. It's a way of living. A way we share ourselves. Hospitality is an attitude. And when you are practicing hospitality, King Jesus is with you. And he will give you the resources you need to bring heaven here on earth through hospitality. And Encounter Church as a community is here to help. The contemporary church hungers for models of a more authentic Christian life in which glimpses of the kingdom can be seen and the promise of the kingdom is embodied. More than words and ideas, the world needs living pictures of what a life of hospitality could look like. A community which embodies hospitality to strangers is a sign of contradiction. A place where joy and pain, crisis and peace are closely interwoven. Friendships that come through hospitality, they contradict what the world says, what the contemporary message is about who is valuable and good to be with. Let's be this type of contradiction where the poor and the wealthy, where the educated and the uneducated could all come together. Let's show this world a kingdom and a king that is different from how they have been doing things. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have recorded in your word 
that you are a welcoming God, that you are a welcoming King, Jesus. You have welcomed the least of these and also those who are in the highest places. You have welcomed them both to your kingdom, to eat with you, to be with you. And now that we are part of your kingdom, Father, I pray that we may represent you well. This world here does not know about your welcome, your hospitality. And Lord, I pray that they may, through us, that we may show what true hospitality is, that it transcends the norms that they have, the standards that they have. Lord, there are people who are in need of knowing that they matter. Lord, and let's show through hospitality that they do, eating a meal, saying hi, saying kind words. Help us, Father. Maybe there are some here present that feel disconnected. And I pray that you will remind them that you welcome them to your presence. And I pray that we as a church may welcome them. Be aware and present. Be mindful of this, Jesus. I pray that we may. May we worship you and may we just glorify the welcoming king. The one who welcomes all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.